Hello, everybody. It's Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow coming to you with a uh, quasi-off-season episode of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. It is Monday night, uh, April 27th. Come to you a couple of days after Josh had written a really interesting article following the rewatch on Saturday of the Mavericks' uh, 2011 playoff run, uh, games five and six. Josh had decided to focus on kind of one of the more unheralded games in the the uh, playoff march, the game five um, win. And I'm linking the article in the post. If you haven't read it yet, you absolutely have to. And I want to get, you know, so I have a number of questions for you, Josh, because I wasn't able to watch this game. Like I could probably go find it, but I live outside the area. So it's a little bit of a pain in the butt for me to, to really track this stuff down. What was it like watching it knowing just kind of from a like a you know after action like was it um you know upsetting at all was it like actually like clinical like what like how are you watching this game you know as as a kind of fan analyst nearly a decade later Yeah it was interesting I definitely when you've watched something before and you know the outcome it makes it a little harder to watch it again so I kind of felt like I had to sit up and pay a little bit more attention or that I would like lose focus, like, like almost like seeing the same, the like same lecture by the same teacher a uh, hundred times or something. You just, it's just a little harder to focus. So I just had to pay attention and maybe jot down a little bit more notes than I usually do when I watch a game that I'm going to write about. Um, but the most interesting thing, you know, watching it, I think is probably common for people that go back and watch the older games, but just how your mind kind of plays tricks on you over time. In my head, when I remembered this game before we started writing it, I thought my memory was like, they took this game, you know, they took like the bull by the horns and they kind of crushed the blazers in the paint and on the glass and they kind of really you know, took control of this game to take control of the series. And like, that's kind of true in the second half and the third and fourth quarters, but they started this game like absolute dog shit. It was <laughs> insane. Like when you think about coming off that horrible game for choke job in my head, I imagine that they came out like, you know, with their pants on fire, but they were down 20 to 15 after the first quarter. Uh, Dirk had two shot attempts in the first seven minutes of the game. Uh, Jason Kidd had a lot of his patented kind of dribble a little past the free throw line. No one guards him. He doesn't want to shoot a layup, so then he kind of passes it back out, and the offense doesn't really do anything. Uh, a lot of Sean Marion post-ups, and it was just Which like – so weird. I so know. weird. And it was just like, man, this is not how I remember this game. Like, after the first quarter, there was like the energy in the building was like, oh, shit. Like here we go. Like they 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 boofed away that game and and now it's all you know house of cards. It's falling apart. So that was the part I didn't remember. My my memory was that they kind of took control of this game and you know they willed themselves to a victory. And it was that was only half true. They did that in the second half, but man, it was it was interesting to watch that first quarter again. Fifteen points in the first quarter of a playoff game within this decade seems pretty wild. Well. A number of, of follow-up thoughts that, that I want to ask you about. So, one, I can't even imagine what Twitter would be like in this day and age for that sort of performance from that kind of team. Like, it just makes me laugh. The The second thing that, that really comes to mind, or at least a question that I have, is what was, like, the announcing like 
in terms of of coming out of game four because everybody knows and and i really wish that that fox sports southwest had aired game four because that sort of comeback from the blazers it's it's just it it really is important in setting the tone for what the mavericks overcome and like we all know it but i sort of want to experience again just because i think it adds weight to to the series so did did they talk about the collapse like what's the like what's the overall feel for the announcing during the game Oh yeah, they they mentioned it. They did not try to hide the fact that that game four happened. And I thought what was interesting, you know, I watched it and it's the local broadcast. Uh, oh, you know, okay. Th- yeah, so like the first round of every playoff series, the local TV TV crew will call the first round series, at least for the Mavs. I don't know how that works for other teams. But... Maybe because it's like later. I mean, it's kind of odd. The Mavs were really kind of, nobody wanted to, to talk about them. They were not appreciated. So this probably, what it makes sense that it wasn't a primetime game in retrospect. It's a 3-6 matchup after all. Yeah, and even when they were primetime and that they would, like the Mark Falwell and Jeff Skin Wade and, and Derek Harper and, and Bob Ortigal, who was, I think, still... He didn't call that game. I think he called the next game. Or no, Brad Davis did. So I can't remember. I'm a little fuzzy there. But uh, even even if they would have been on ESPN or TNT, they still – the Mavs have some sort of – I don't know if it's a Mavs deal or TV rights deal, but the local crew will call the first round always, even if they're on TNT or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got the local crew, which was kind of nice. and It was kind of fun to see – uh, you know, Jeff, you know, skin and, and follow well and, and all the guys, you know, basically 10 years younger. Um, and then they did, but they definitely mentioned that loss and they didn't try to sugarcoat it either, which I thought was, you know, a lot of people give a lot of props to the Mavs TV announced team is one of the better ones, especially, you know, people like yourself that have to endure a lot of league pass nonsense from mm-hmm. other teams announcers. And they didn't try to hide it like, you know, oh, the Mavericks just kind of let it go. Like, they were like, yeah, they they blew it. They collapsed. It was a big, you know, they were like, they didn't really, you know, they didn't hammer them, but they didn't try to explain it away as some, like, fluke or, like, they got robbed or something. It was very much like, hey, they they blew it. It was disappointing. How are they going to respond? And that was kind of a that was kind of a constant theme throughout the night. That's really interesting because the way – and even the Mavs have done this. Look, I love Falwell. I think he's very good. I think that that the way local announcing has gone, and this includes the Mavericks, is they're just not as critical as as I really think they should be. Uh, and that's just what the market dictates. People want to hear hometown stuff, so it's nice to hear that they were critical because. You know, we know this now in retrospect, and it gets weirder with time, but that sort of collapse in game four, I will never forget the sense of, of oh, no, that just hung over over the start of that game. I don't remember it being a slog, like you said, so it's really interesting to, to kind of consider that in, in retrospect. Now, the box score is really fascinating. Carlos <laughs> has essentially cut his rotation to... Yeah, I mean, he plays Deshaun Stevenson only 12 minutes. Terry plays a ton off the bench. Peja, a lot of Peja in this game. 25 minutes. Um, and and that's that's pretty interesting. What else was was you know really jumps out at you both from like watching the game and from the box score? Uh yeah, I think Peja, this was a good series for him because this was before Nicholas Batum had become an established player. Batum came off the bench for the Blazers. They're starting small forward was Gerald Wallace when they tra- yes. I think they I think they traded for him that season he he was good that he was good that year 
Uh, and he was good for them in this series. Uh, so like the and with the way the game was, it was just a slower tempo even back then. It was just easier for Page to stay on the floor because it's not the Blazers went to Aldridge so much uh, that it wasn't like you know Page could steal minutes by hiding on whatever lesser guard or wing the Blazers throwing out there. You know this is pre-established West West Matthews. Uh, so the Blazers didn't have a ton of guards. You know, their damage was really Aldridge and Wallace uh, and Andre Miller. <laughs> Funny enough, another kind of blast from the past name. Uh, but the thing that was really interesting to me was watching this was we kind of think about Dirk's legendary run. And he had a great series, his Portland series, but the Mavericks did not nearly force feed him as much as they did in the Lakers and Thunder and Heat series. Right. Like I said, he did not have a shot. At, he had two shot attempts in the first seven minutes of the game. And there were go stretches without him getting too many touches. And it was pretty wild. Uh, you know, I think the Blazers had with Aldridge and Camby, Marcus Camby, who was still viable back then. You know, that was a lengthy, you know, front court that can maybe bother him. But Dirk shot the shot well for the series. So wasn't necessarily that it was just I guess the way the Blazers just kind of loaded up their coverage they really were kind of daring anyone else to beat them um another thing I noticed that I thought was really funny was Tyson Chandler was an animal and he had 13 offensive rebounds which is just <laughs> wild and it's I wonder I wonder how many games since it's been it's nine years almost I don't know probably 750 Mavs games I just I'm not I'm not good at math leave me alone if I'm wrong there I wonder how many games a any Maverick has had over eight offensive rebounds in the past. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It can't, what? It can't be that many. Uh, and they, like they said, it was a it was a playoff record for offensive rebounds in a game. And I'm sure that uh, that's had to have stand the test of time so far. Um, but what I was curious about it was he was just whipping ass in the front court and on the boards, <laughs> and he. <laughs> Got Marcus Camby into foul trouble late in the game, and the Blazers had to go small, so they played Aldridge at center and Wallace at the four. And right now, when you hear that, you're like, "Oh, that's perfect." They probably, you know, like that's that's what it should be. But back then, that wasn't the way it was, and the Mavs killed the Blazers when they went small. They they got a twenty point lead in the fourth quarter when the Blazers went small because Dirk and Chandler just kept abusing them in the paint. And it was just crazy to watch. The Mavericks were only three of seventeen from three in this game. Like they, they did not. They punished the Blazers on the boards and in the paint. And it was just wild to think about. That's crazy. So yeah. it's funny you say that about Tyson because you talk a little in your article about how, in retrospect, it's really preposterous. Like it only it will only grow more preposterous, and I, I hope. I hope somebody with better media access than us will one day, maybe on the 10 year anniversary, somebody needs to really get to Mark Cuban. And I don't remember if he said not resigning Tyson was a mistake because I mean, they traded for him, you know, a couple years later when, when he was on the Knicks, but it's just, it's pretty silly how good he was, how much he fit and how they just moved away from him. Now I, I don't want to step on a, a, a later part of the podcast, which I've not even told you about, but I went through and just, you know, basically looked at one year big men from 2010 to 2020 that sh- that names people would recognize. So after moving on from Tyson, and really this includes Tyson too, because there's there's a couple people here because this is 2010 and forward. Here's a list of names of one year big men. 
Drew Gooden, Chris Humphreys, Tim Thomas, Yi Jilan, Lamar Odom, Elton Brand, Eddie Curry, Chris Kamen, Troy Murphy, uh, Dewan Blair, Samuel Dallenbear, Amari Stoudemire, uh, Jeremy Evans, David Lee, JaVale McGee, Zaza Pachulia, Andre Bogut, Josh McRoberts, and DeAndre Jordan. It just, like, the further we get away from it, the stupider it looks. And there's just no other way to say it, and so I think we should call it dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's I think back in the day, like I think back when it happened, I was kind of like, okay, I can kind of see it because I didn't I mean, I was, you know, I was like 21 or something. Sure. I didn't really know. I didn't know about the like I just thought, oh, like Dallas won a title, they've dirt, like they've got money. And then it was just so obvious afterwards it was like, oh, you don't need money, you need like everything else around it cuz every any team can create the cap space. So like it, yeah, it's just so watching watching that, up. it was just more obvious. I looked this up while you were talking. So from 2011 to 2020, uh, both playoffs and regular season, there have been four games where any Dallas Maverick recorded 10 offensive rebounds. I'm going to give you a hint here. One player who had, the, who had t- 10 offensive rebounds, um, 10 or more, excuse me, was DeAndre Jordan. He did it early uh, last, yeah, before before they traded him off. Do you have any idea who the other three players might be? The other three players. Mm-hmm. DeAndre was one. Was uh, Blair one? No. They were all Tyson Chandler. Oh, God. <laughs> so, you know, and I know rebounding is kind of a whatever stat nowadays that we've really devalued it, but... In a game like Game 5, where the Mavericks were looking to retake control, it sounds like, from from your reading, as much as anything, you know, while Dirk is always going to be Dirk, Tyson just demoralized them. Yes. And that yes. is incredible to read in retrospect. Yes, he did. Espe- like, especially a lot of those offensive rebounds where, you know, he was he kind of, like, made this, like, a vogue, in vogue move was the, the tap back offensive rebound. Mm-hmm. out to the three-point line and if you notice i also wrote about this but jason kidd had four points and 14 assists <laughs> and a lot of those where tyson would get a tap tap out tap it back out to the three-point line and kid would get it and kid was so good in those like the defense is scattered they're they they do not know what's kind of going on they're not set and he was always one step ahead regardless and so like he would tap it back out to kid and kid would just keep that ball humming you would hold on to it for like a second find the next read get it out to someone for an open look and that that killed that absolutely killed him killed the Blazers well well, we're going to keep talking about these but what is the next game you hope to cover it'll be it'll actually well we're recording this on Monday the 27th so it'll be Tuesday the 28th the game two of the Lakers series they're replaying that on Tuesday the 28th and I'll I'll watch that one. It's at 9 p.m. Central Time uh, in Texas. And, yeah, that's the next one. Because I, I looked at the Lakers series and, like, game one, I think a lot of people remember because there was a comeback. Uh, and game four, obviously, everyone remembers, you know, the Mother's Day Massacre. Uh, game three was, like, a clutch game with Dirk hitting a, a game-winning shot in the final minute, I think. Uh, and game two was kind of like – so I don't think game two gets talked about as much, but it, they kind of thoroughly kicked their ass in game two. And I think that was kind of like the eye-opening moment of the playoffs where I was like, okay, this is the, the Dallas team that was on a 60-plus win pace before Dirk got hurt. Like, 
they found their mojo again. So I, I, that's kind of why I wanted to write about it. Okay, well, we're going to have to touch base on that one later in the week because I, I've i never watched any of those games again. And they were as a – I was in Southern California whenever Kobe went bananas during the early 2000s. So the Mavericks sweeping the Lakers in 2011 was a religious experience for me. Like just so much like texting and mean stuff to my friends. I can't speak highly enough about it. Well, we're going to take a short break uh, and then we will be back where I have a couple of questions that Josh has no idea what they are because that is how much fun podcasting can be. (laughs) Three, two, one. Hello, everybody. It's uh, Josh and Kirk. We're still here. Thank you for sticking with us through the break. Um, It's Jersey Week at SB Nation across the board. This is something I found out about this morning because Josh and I are brand new editors and I am still not I'm still getting used to checking email threads uh, because we have Slack now. So I tend to ignore my personal email, but it seems they they you know, we're looking for content ideas and the Mavericks, uh, or I'm sorry, SB nation decided, you know, why don't we just talk about some Jersey stuff? And, you know, I'm normally not really a Jersey guy, but there's been a couple of interesting Mavs things that have happened this off season related to their branding that I thought, you know, you know, why not? I went ahead and I wrote a short post today where I essentially identified their, their away green uniforms, which they used, us. Uh, pretty consistently for us uh, from like 1982 through the nineties. Um, and then they went away from it really when Cuban bought the team and started to do a rebrand. Um, Josh sort of knows about this because, you know, I, I asked his uh, opinions for, for what the Mavericks were doing because the, the Mavericks social media team posted a uh, infographic kind of one of those memes maybe two weeks ago where they posted nine of their jerseys and asked people to pick their favorite three tons of people including mavericks players actually (laughs) picked all of the old stuff which was just such shade and you know i really wanted to know you know first your thoughts like do you have any dallas mavericks jerseys is that a thing you've or any or any like sports jerseys period is that a thing you care about it's I'm not a big memorabilia guy. Like if you look at my desk at home, you look at my desk at my office, I have the desk where like the coworkers come up and be like, oh, this is where the serial killer works. Cause it's, just like <laughs> it's like empty. Cause I'm very much like, I, you know, you guys, you know, you and Doyle give me, give me shit about this in our Slack and rightly so, but I have a history of moving a lot. Um, I've basically moved every single year of my life since I turned 18. And when you move a lot, you get really good at throwing crap out and not, you know, deciding what you need to keep and what needs to stay with you. So like, remember, I don't have a lot of sports memorabilia, but I do have, I do have one Mavs jersey and I got a, uh, I got a Dirk jersey when I first started like getting like hardcore into the team in 2002 and I got the the dark navy road road jersey for Dirk, and that's the only Mavs jersey I've ever had. Okay, I'm really not a jersey guy either. I my brother bought brought, bought me these like forty dollar ones that you could arguably like made out of that stuff that high school practice jerseys are made out of. I think that's that the kind was- my Dirk jersey was with the like wide shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I really liked those just for because you could beat the crap out of them and put them through everything. But I don't really own many myself. Now, one of our former staffers, uh, Bailey, had just the firmest of takes 
on uh, jersey-related stuff, and I'm hoping our staff comes together with some thoughts on what the Mavericks can do or uh, with what their favorite and least favorite were because, you know, you posted that you really liked the green jerseys that had the blue side from – I'm trying to remember. I feel like it's it's early 2000s. Oh, like four oh five. Okay. Yeah, the P the P Diddy jerseys. They're very different. I like yes. them. And then the ones that the Mavericks had for the for the playoffs run that were like the same font but kind of navy on the sides and blue. Those are fine. Yeah. I don't hate you know, I watch them. They're fine. Yeah. Where they've really gone down a bad path the last five years. Like that you know, I, I found this old article where Bailey had covered the Maverick Jersey history and it was like stopped in 2014 and everything since 2014 has been bad. Like I'm sure <laughs> the, the, the most recent city edition sold like hotcakes to children. And mm-hmm. if that is the point, that is great. I will say Luca and Chris Tapps looked objectively stupid wearing those gradient colors. I'm sorry. Some of the other uniforms that they've had look like borderline summer league jerseys. They're just really boring. So yeah. I'm 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 going to be interested to see if our staff comes up with anything. Those trash bag jerseys, the silver ones from years ago, I still remember the bar I was in uh, out in California as the Mavericks got slaughtered by the Lakers the first time they wore them, and Dirk oh, had a shaved head. It yep. was just like just really like interesting stuff in my and memory. Danny Fortson was starting at center. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Because oh, oh, they traded LaFrance for Walker, and they had zero big guys on the roster really after that. And Fortson had like a good preseason or something, and they started him against Shaq. So you know how that went. <laughs> I think I blotted that part out of my mind, probably for good reason because it's so painful. Jeez, yeah, that, love, that's one of the most disappointing. Yeah, that's one of the most disappointing Mav seasons like ever. I think that oh three oh four season. Yeah, because they had been so good in 0203, and there's, you know, Jameson was just not like he was good, but he was not it. He didn't want that role, which is sad because like that might have he's probably going to make the NBA Hall of Fame just due to his numbers, but he would have been really good in like that Jason Terry spot for like 15 years if he just could have figured it out. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Well, okay, that was that. You, the fact that you said no, I probably should have thought about that beforehand, <laughs> but that's okay because you know what? This Jersey stuff is funny and maybe, maybe one of our guys are going to um, come up with, with other things. Now, the other thing that, that we pitched is someone suggested throwing out, uh, you know, we've been looking for roundtable ideas. Like we're just looking for stuff to talk about. You know, we, we, you know, we took a little break from Mavs content because, you know, like Rebecca got let go and then you know all this 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 COVID nineteen stuff has happened. It really like sucked the wind out of our sails. The fun season, so like we're we're trying to push back into this. And it's a little bit hard. Well, one of our guys had a really good idea of who is your favorite one year Maverick. And oh, then yeah. if you go to if you go to basketballreference.com and then you sort by uh you know like all the Mavericks have had three hundred twenty eight players play for them during their entire career or I'm sorry, during their entire franchise existence. Dudes who have played one year, meaning, you know, 82 games or less, more or less, there have been 195 of them. And (laughs) I think that's kind of normal. But as I was going through, like I mentioned some of those names earlier, and I threw out like like this hilarious Amari Stoudemire picture because Sam picked him as his favorite one-year Maverick. And this guy from Cleveland who I know just responded to my tweet, and he was like, I can't get over the completely random veterans the mavericks always have 
And I have always kind of thought of that as normal. Like NBA players need somewhere to go play. But when you go through the list, it is weird. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really been weird since Cuban has been on board is, you know, you went with probably, I'm surprised nobody took him. You picked Walt Williams, which was phenomenal because that guy had a crazy basketball career and really, you know, you know, just talk about him for a second. Well, I don't really know. I mean, his prime was outside of my consciousness. I honestly sure. thought Doyle was going to pick him. So I was kind of surprised. Uh, but really, I picked him because he had that crazy game, uh, game three against the Sacramento Kings in the 2003 playoffs. That was double overtime. And that was the game that kind of like, I was already a Mavs fan for a little bit then, but that was like my, okay, I'm ride or die. I'm going crazy for this team moment because we had just, I was in eighth grade. We had just moved into a new house. Uh, My parents were, everyone in the house was asleep and we had just moved. So we had boxes everywhere, but my dad hooked up the TV before we went to bed so that I could watch that playoff game. So I'm just sitting in the living room with no chair and just nothing, like just sitting on the floor watching this game, trying not to lose my mind and wake up my parents. Cause it was just a, it was just a ridiculous game with just so many back and forth runs and, and each team's trading clutch shots. And then there you have this guy, Walt Williams, who I had no idea who he was at the time, just this, you know, older veteran guy that just kind of comes off the bench with all the foul trouble. And, you know, guys are playing huge minutes cause it's double overtime. And he just hits, uh, you know, gets a layup or gets a dunk or something and hits a three-pointer in double overtime that are, like, key shots. And it was just – it was hilarious. Like, they did this small ball Dirk at the five and Walt Williams at the four. And, like, they don't win that game without his ten points. And I'll just kind of never forget that uh, just because it, it'll just stick with me forever. It was one of the best games I've ever watched in my life. It was, like, a one – 40 141 138 double overtime game like it was just it was wild it was, it was so much fun well and he uh you know i i live out here in the um it's people refer to it as the dmv dc maryland virginia area and he's university of maryland player and people who know him love him Mavs fans who are Mavs fans at the time are just super all into it. You know, that was really one of the last games he ever played. I'm, I'm looking at his game log now. Yeah. He didn't play again after that. You know, he only had a 10-year career. He has a phenomenal nickname. Walt, the Wizard is just a, a top five NBA nickname for me. So that was a really good pick. I, pro- I went with Jose Calderon because I think he's lost to kind of time because he only played that one year with Dallas – despite being kind of the the uh, fallback signing um, after the Mavs missed out on Darren Williams and Dwight. And then, you know, everybody remembers Monta more than him, but really, like, Jose Calderon was outstanding. Just a, a top-notch basketball player that entire year. I really enjoyed watching him. I, I think that the Mavericks were just so bad defensively, and he was not any good either, that they they had to kind of make make the choice there. There's really just – I really recommend coming to our site, taking a look at this list, kind of going through it. You know, Richard Jefferson was a fun one who you – know, it's like that guy went on to win an NBA championship after being old as balls and playing with the Mavs <laughs> one year. Like, it's just – it's just incredible the kind of players – who are out there, you know, the, I, God, Greg Smith. Do you remember that guy? Antoine Rigadu? Gosh, what a, like, what <laughs> a, 
just there's just so like like Cherokee Parks played in 96 like obviously so you and I are not old enough to remember some of the stuff but it's really funny like I think the one that's stuck in my head for the longest time is actually Kevin Willis uh who played five games at age 43 with the Mavericks in 2007 like he took an entire like I have no idea how he why he was on the team I remember none of this but it's God, I don't remember that either. And I was locked into that team. In yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he only played 43 minutes over five games. It must have been like one of those emergency signings because that was the year that they went like bananas. Yeah, uh, 67 win team. Yeah. So that that just is one of those things that stands out to me. But before I get out of here, because I think we got one more thing we want to touch on, you know, Mark Cuban uh, went on CNN and basically said something to the effect of that if the NBA can play games without fans they're gonna look into it uh he made a really terrible line about you know it being like a moral obligation for sports like for the nba to do this if they can which was you know one of those groan inducing lines where you know you want to give the guy the benefit of the doubt because he's done some good stuff in this quarantine but like sorry sports is not a moral obligation go away Mm -hmm. um but i do think that I, I really think this might be what happens for next season. Um, judging by what the things we're going to see, you know, Texas is, is quote unquote opening up um, starting soon. And, you know, we're not a political or science podcast here, but um, I, the, you know, lapsed Republican feel very comfortable saying that that is not a great idea. And I think that, you know, nationwide, what's going to happen is, we're going to see some issues, hopefully nothing bad, but I do think that the NBA and these leagues will find a way to do something just because it, it really does. I mean, I miss sports. Like if they can figure out a way to do it and it's safe and doesn't suck up resources. And if they do it in October, you know, when the season's supposed to start, I'm fine with that. I think they should give up on this year, but you know, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think any, I feel like, any talk of starting the league before the fall just seems crazy to me. Like, cause I just can't like we've, what we've been through this. It's been about a little, a little over a month since it's really gotten crazy. And like, there's been some signs where it's been better, but there's been a lot of signs where it's still bad. So like, I just haven't seen like the, like there just hasn't been enough for me to see, to be like, okay, like I can see these trend lines and it's going to be this, like, you know, there's still so much that has to be done in terms of like testing and stuff. Like my thing is just as long as normal people aren't given the shaft so that like NBA players or baseball right. players or whatever can can play games like that's that's my threshold. If we can take care of everyone else and then then we can start playing games and that'll be I'll be cool with it whenever that is. If that hey, if that is in if that's somehow in August, cool. Like if it's in June, okay. Like I don't, I don't believe you, but if it is cool, like that's, that's kind of my threshold. Like just make sure that everyone, you know, normal people can be treated and taken care of and tested and, you know, hospitals aren't overrun in major hub cities and stuff like that. And then, you know, then let's start, start talking about the playing games if we want to. Very good. That's where I think you and I are in agreement on this. Okay. So Here's kind of my thinking on what's coming next, guys. Don't hold us to this, though. Do actually feel free to reach out if you feel we're being lacking on anything. So I want to talk to Josh about the Laker game that he's going to cover. I also want to – I may take some questions 
if anybody's doing that, you know, a lot of the Mavs podcasts out there doing this sort of thing. So you probably don't have any additional questions. I also do sort of want to record Josh and I talking about video games and the other stuff we're doing some more, mainly because <laughs> I want to ask him questions related to the Switch. Um, <laughs> but that is very selfish of me. It feels very on brand and <laughs> that's the game who cares game. man there's no games what does it i matter? know i know but you know like i one of our listeners he's an occasional listener reached out to me and just we were talking about other podcasts and he said you know one of the things that didn't occur to me was how boring i find so many podcast hosts out there when basketball is not on <laughs> <laughs> and that's I was, a nice I, splash of cold water in the face well, i i was I, I thought to myself and i said man you know i have like podcast anxiety when i can't catch up with the stuff that i want to listen to and i was like you know what you're right i'm not feeling bad about skipping some of these so it's it's you know but as long as we're not doing this sort of thing every week maybe we can you know get together and talk about some of the things that we're enjoying you know my wife has made me watch marvelous and mrs mazel and i could riff on that for a few minutes because it is laugh out loud hysterical okay but uh we'll we'll see we'll see so as always guys we appreciate your uh vigilant support we're hopefully keeping eh, man we're actually keeping this to around a half hour um I am very excited about that. As always, Josh Bow and Kirk Henderson with MavsMoneyBall.com. Josh, thanks for coming out tonight. Yep, thank you. All right, later, guys.